Bible, if you've got uh, a Bible with you, we're going to be a couple of different places. We're going to be in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 for a little bit. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 1, uh, and we're going to be a couple other places. Here's the easiest thing to do is to download the Southcrest app. If you don't have the Southcrest Church app already on your phone, just go to the App Store or Google Play and download that real quick. Um, and if you're at one of our campuses, free Wi-Fi, so why not? Um, and so download that, and then once you download, there's a sermon notes, and you can click on that sermon notes, and you can just follow along with everything we're talking about. You can add your own notes in there uh, so that you'll have a copy of it, and it'll keep it in the app, or you can email it to yourself uh, either way. So we're in this week three of revival. So we've been talking about here's what happens. Here's what happens is that God wants to do great things in our lives. He's right here for us. So we keep saying, God, when are you going to do something? He's right here. It's not him, it's us. We need to start with ourselves. And we've talked about a little bit a couple of weeks ago that there's so much that has gone on in our lives over these last 11 months that it's just one thing after another, after another, right? And uh, with, uh, with COVID and a virus and then uh, racial unrest and social injustice issues, and then just not the protesting, the riots, the screaming at one another online. The, and, and, and I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about inside the church. And we said, you know, here, here's what happens. Every time God moves and, and does something, he always starts with his people. God always starts with his people. And so we ought not to be looking at everybody else But we ought to say, hey, God, what do you want to do with me first? That's where it starts. We start with our own hearts, with our own lives. We look in the mirror and say, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to bring about change in my life and in the things that are going on? And so uh, we looked at this passage of scripture uh, a couple weeks ago, and we've been kind of using this as the passage that we're talking about for this series. It says, if my people who are called by my name, so that's us, if they'll humble themselves, that's what we talked about last week, what does it mean to humble ourselves and, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so there's an if then, there's a conditional statement here, remember? So if my people, what, humble themselves and pray. And we talk about, look, these two things go together. And so we're kind of coupling these things together right here uh, today. And then number three, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then what will God do? God will hear us. That's important. Everybody wants to be heard, right? And, and, and you and sometimes we think, well, you even hear me because you're not doing what I'm telling you to do. So let's straighten that out. We'll talk about that a little bit more today because, you know, there's a big difference between does God hear you and is God wanting, doing what you want him to do? Uh, so, because that happens a lot of marriages, doesn't it? Uh, one of the, the spouse will say, I just don't feel like I'm being heard. And it's not that you're not being heard. It's that the other person is not doing what you want them to do, Right? Oh, it's Valentine's Day. I shouldn't say that, right? Um, but but God, uh, then God will hear, God will forgive, and God will heal. Now, when we start talking about prayer, there's a lot of mystery about prayer because sometimes we look at God as being our butler and that he wants to uh, just say, hey, what can I do for you next? And that he really doesn't know what he's doing. If he would just do what we would tell him to do, everything would be a lot better. Well, not necessarily so. So I, I think though you've got to ask what type of prayer results in God healing us and healing and forgiving is what the passage talks about. And 
how does God heal our land? What, what kind of prayer uh, is, uh, is required for that to happen? Because I, I think that everybody prays. I mean, I, I, I think occasionally even atheists pray. And I don't know who they may be praying to, but you know, everybody says, you know, help me. Uh, or, uh, or, you know, sometimes we just go, oh, God. And I'm like, okay, you've started a prayer. You should, just, you should move on from there. Uh, that's a good start, but let's go uh, a little further. And so today, this is for anybody who's seeking revival or, or if you're confused about prayer, I, I kind of want to help you a little bit with some things today uh, and see how can we pray in such a way that we know that God hears us when we pray. And somebody would say, but, but God hears every single prayer. And, uh, and so maybe, but maybe he doesn't respond at all to some types of prayer. Take a look at that, right? So, so why does prayer work sometimes and sometimes it, it, it doesn't? You know, why is it that sometimes you pray like, bang, I mean, five minutes later, there it is. You know, that, that, that's incredible. You know, sit there and go, oh, Lord God, help me find my car keys. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I remember. I left them on the kitchen counter. And then so go, oh, well, thank you, Lord. And why sometimes do you say, Lord, help me find my car keys. And three weeks later, you can't find them. And uh, why, why is that? Or, or, or why do sometimes you pray, Lord God, this woman has cancer in her bones and would you heal her? And he does. And sometimes you pray the same prayer with just as much intensity and passion for someone else. And that person still has cancer. So, so why does prayer work sometimes and sometimes it doesn't? And, and is, is prayer superstitious for you? What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Do, do you ever pray and think, I really, I really need God to answer this prayer. So today I'm not going to cuss and I'm not gonna look at porn, and I'm not gonna say bad things about anybody. And as a matter of fact, I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut today and not do anything that I shouldn't do because if I do all these good things, then God will say, okay, yeah, I'm giving you what you want. Because uh, some, sometimes I think it's, uh, I th- sometimes I think we pray that way a little bit, don't we? Um, and then, um, I, I, have you ever gotten what you wanted, but it wasn't what you wanted? Have, have, have you ever done that? You know, it's like, man, this is just what I want. You know, whenever it's up, I mean, years ago, this is, I think, one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life, but my wife's grandmother, and you're going to laugh on said, had a Cadillac. And so we needed a new car because my car, the car we had was broken. And so, every, so we had three kids, but sometimes my wife would get in the car with the grandmother and the three kids would go in the back of the seat and they're like, they're fine, this is great. And I said, I'm not so sure this is a great thing. And she said, I think we should get it. I said, well, okay. And realize that you're going to put three little kids in the back seat all bang, bang, bang like that and think you can drive more than about three minutes without it being full-on uh, NWO wrestling match? Not a good idea, right? It was a disaster. Plus, I felt like I was pimp daddy driving around this big old gray caddy. Uh, and I was like, I got image issues and I just can't handle this. And so I had buyer's remorse, Right, I, and, and, and sometimes we pray for something. We're like, oh God, would you do this for me? God, I really want this job. I really want this promotion. This is where I want to be. I mean, God, if I could get this job in this city, we could live in this house, drive that car, wear these clothes. If I could do all that, that would be great. And you get the new job. You're like, whoo, praise Jesus. I got the job. And three months later, you're like, God, I hate this job. 
Why, why did I do this? You got what you asked for, right? You got what you asked for. And, and, and that, that's this kind of catchphrase that we use in our culture, like, hey, idiot, <laughs> there you go, right? It, it's, it's like, you know, I, I go somewhere to eat and, you know, I, I do this a lot uh, for lunch and I go and eat lunch with somebody and I think, you know what I should get? I should get a really, I should have a salad. I should do that. And then I go, but no, they have a, bet you can't cheeseburger on the menu, you know, 18 ounces of meat and a bun the size of my head. I'm like, I'll eat that, which is great. And it's delicious and I love it. I'm thinking, man, that is exactly what I wanted. But then you know what happens is after that, I go into a food coma all afternoon and I can't do anything. People are like, Arthur, I'm like, what, what, I'm here. And, you know, and what I, did, I got what I asked for. I, I could have had, had some sense, but instead I did something dumb. And so in America, we have this idea that we want life, liberty, and the pursuit of unhindered happiness. That's what we want. Listen, just get out of my way. I want my life to be great. I don't want any sad days. I don't want any speed bumps. I don't want anything that's going to be detrimental to my opinion of happiness in any way. So that's what we want. That's what we grab. That's what we like. We, oh, if I could just have that in my life. And what has happened to this idea of unhindered happiness? We've gotten what we asked for. But man, it's gotten complicated, hasn't it? We, we, we keep asking for things that are not healthy for us, that are not helpful to us. And that's where this idea of humble prayer comes in. That's where humble prayer comes in. See, God hears us when we pray humbly. Not when we're demanding. Not when we're saying, hey God, I want this and this and this and this and this and this and also some of that. But God hears us. God hears us when we pray humbly, when we say, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to become? I, I, I had to learn this over years, but th there were times I would pray for my wife and there's this long laundry list of things that I wanted for Lori for me. And, and I would pray these very specific things. God, would you make her more patient? God, God would you make her more loving? God, God, would you soften her heart? You know, and it all sounds great, but it's all this stuff for me. Hey, God, do all this stuff for me. Help me out. Give a guy a break, would you? And, you know, and, and, and I learned I need to be praying, God, will you make Lori into the woman you want her to be? And the woman that he wants her to be and the woman that I want her to be, maybe two different things. But the best thing for her is to be the woman that God wants her to be. See, it says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. The next verse says this. He says, now, if you'll do that, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive. You want me to hear you when you pray? To the prayer that is made in this place. So humble prayer is a big deal. And, it's, and, and, and sometimes, and let me show you this, because some of you are like, God hears every prayer. Well, 
depends what you mean by that word hears. But when we're, even when we're very religious people, we're very legalistic people, we do things a certain way, a certain time, and say, hey, God, look at me, look what I'm doing. I showed up. You know, I, 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 I read my, my U version daily devotion today. I read that. Uh, I, 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 I prayed. I, I got a shower. God, I, I did. I got in the car and we got here five minutes early and we got a seat and we're here and, you know, and we gave online this week and we're, we're trying to figure out how we can connect with people and look at everything that I'm doing. All this is good. And if you're all saying I'm doing all this for me and not for you, this is what he says in Isaiah chapter one. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. He says, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He says, you're doing all these religious things for all the wrong reasons. He says, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Why are you showing up for the wrong reasons? He says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. He says, look, I can't stand it. Don't be fake with me. He says, new moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity. And solemn assembly, he says, don't go through all these rituals. He says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not. What does that say? Listen. It's because they were not humbly asking God what he wanted, but they were making demands. So God doesn't listen to prideful prayers. Let me give you a couple examples of prideful prayers. God, give me what I want because I know what's best. God, you know what? If you would give me that job, God, if you would get me into that school that I'm applying to, God, if you would straighten out my husband, if you would get my kids to quit fighting with each other. Number two, God blesses the plans I've made. You know, around here, we talk a lot about pray first, pray first, pray first, before you send the email, before you have the conversation, before you get started with your day, before you have that meeting, before you walk into your third period class at school. We talk about that all the time, pray first. But you want to tell you something? Sometimes I don't pray first. Sometimes I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm good enough. I can do this. Here it is. Here's the task, here's the thing. Even sometimes, here's the talk. And then, all right, here's my effort. God wants you to bless it. That's backwards. So we don't wanna say, well, look, I've done all these things. I've got this plan. I got the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. I, I, I know where I'm gonna be. I know where my kids are gonna be. I know where our family's gonna be. I know about the mortgage. I know about all these things. I got a plan, so God wants you to bless me, right? So let me show you an example of humble prayer. So this is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. There's a king, his name is Jehoshaphat. He's the fourth king of Judah. Now, um, Judah and Israel have split into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The kingdom of Judah is uh, around Jerusalem. The northern kingdom 
uh, of course, is north of there, which is why they call it the Northern Kingdom. So at this point, it, it, it started with, there was David and then King David and then King Solomon, and then the kingdom splits. And so there are some, uh, some people in Northern Israel, some people in Southern Israel. So we're talking about Judah. Uh, so when you see this word Judah come up as we're reading through here today, that's what we're talking about. Jehoshaphat was considered one of the very best kings. He was powerful, he was strong, he loved the Lord, he reigned a long time, he was very genuine in what was going on, and he had established a kingdom of Judah that was prospering. And, but here's what happens, is some of the other kingdoms around him begin to get very jealous of what's going on and what's happening. And they said, hey, you know what, we're gonna go invade Judah and we're gonna overthrow Jehoshaphat, that's what we're going to do. And so we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse one. It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites. Um, and this will later on be referred to as the people of Mount Seir. Okay, so basically there are three countries all around Jehoshaphat, and they're all coming against him. So it's three on one, which is where I come from, not a fair fight. And they came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Now, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you. A ton of people is coming to you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, look, 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 they are in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So, what do you do when a vast army is coming against you? And, and, and maybe that vast army that's coming against you is a big family argument or people at work or a group of friends. And you're having a hard day, a hard week, a hard month, a hard year, and you're going, why is everybody against me? What do you do when you feel like everybody is against you? What do you do? What, what, what do you do when the things that you trust in are, are, are taken away? The things, that, man, I got this, I got this, I, I got a hold of it. And uh, the job, the relationship, whatever, it, gone. What, what, what do you do when that happens to you? What, what do you do when you feel like you're in a no-win situation, that it doesn't matter what you say or how you say it or when you say it, that things are going to blow up in your face? Two things I think we'll see in this passage. Number one is that you pray your way through the valley. You're in this valley of crisis. It's difficult. It's hard. It's overwhelming. What do you do? Number one, you pray your way through the valley. And number two, you worship your way out of the valley. You worship your way out of the valley. So let's pick this up. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Here's everybody's against him. He's honest. I'm scared. Here's the king, and he says, I'm afraid. And he set his face to do what? Seek the Lord. And he didn't go, oh, man, woe is me. Everything is, is falling apart. This is not such a good thing. What is he? I'm scared. I'm afraid. And what does he do? First thing, he says he's going to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, I would tell you that if you want a simple definition of faith, that faith is the process of unlearning fear. When you're born, you have two fears. You're born with two fears, the fear of being dropped and the fear of loud noises. Try it. Go find a baby. Don't do it with yours because you, then you'll have to, it'll, it'll just be messy. But go find a baby and just, you know, like drop him from here to here. See how much he likes it, right? Or scream at a baby really loud. No, don't do either one of those things. It's a bad idea. No, but, but 
But every other fear that you have, every other fear that you have is a learned behavior. You learned to be afraid of that. And so faith is the process of unlearning fear. I'm going to realize that that thing that is causing me fear is not that powerful. First John 14 says, perfect love cast out all fear. And so the more faithful we are, the less fear we walk in. And, and what if we used fear when we're afraid? What if we used fear as a trigger for prayer instead of worrying? Because when something happens, we go, panic. I got to fix this. I got to make a phone call. I got to talk to somebody. I got to send an email. I got to send a text. I got to get on this right away. Or I got to run from it because I don't want anybody to know because I hate confrontation. I don't want any part of that. But what if instead of, of doing that, what if instead we use that as a trigger for prayer? And, and we went there first. So verse four says, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So the whole country gathers and says, God, what in the world? We need you. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord, talking about in the temple before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers. Here's the king, right? And, and notice how he's praying. Are you not God in heaven? So he starts off saying, God, you are great. You're incredible. You're powerful. He recognizes the sovereignty, the majesty, and the glory of God. He says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might. You got it all. So, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Hey, God, even the fact that we are standing here today and that we have homes here and that we live here and that we have families here. All of that's because of you. Every good thing we've got is from you, God. And it says, it says, and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house, again, talking about the temple, and before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. God, that's what we said we would do. We said, if anything bad happens, that we're going to call out to you. And he said, so we're not doing this ourselves. This, this vast army is coming against us. We don't know what to do. So God, but we said that if this ever happened, that we would cry out to you. And so we're doing what we said that we would do. And he says, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, the Meonites, whom you would not let Israel invade. When they came out of Egypt and they go into the promised land and they're conquering places, God says, no, don't go conquer these people. And so Jehoshaphat says, look, we were obedient to you. And now they're coming against us. And he's, what's he trying to do? He's saying, God, we just don't understand. All this is a little crazy to us. He says, when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us. I mean, we didn't bother them. And now they're coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And here's this king with an army and a whole nation of people. And he goes, God, we can't do anything without you. Do you see somebody who could be entitled, who could be powerful, who had everything 
says, God, without you, we got nothing. Powerless, not look at me. Look at you, God. And he says this, he says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I mean, think about this last year. I mean, it's been crazy. And we want to see revival happening. So that means, you know what? When something comes up, that's a very healthy thing to say. God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And we're not going to look at our circumstances or at other people or at other things. We're going to keep our eyes on you. And that's what we're going to hang on to. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. They're all out there. And the spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And so the Levites are, are the priests. And so God tells them, hey, here's a message. I want you to give to the people of Judah. Go tell this to Jehoshaphat. This is what he's supposed to do. And remember, there is a horde, a multitude, three nations lined up against them, right? He says, tomorrow, here's the word, tomorrow go down against them. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How about we stay right where we are? If we walk down there where they are, they are going to murder us, pillage us overtake us no no, I don't think so I don't think I'm going to do that says tomorrow go down tomorrow go down where they are and he says he says behold they will come up by the ascent of Z's you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel and he said and God even says listen this is exactly where I want you to go don't just go and say okay we went down there but you're still a mile away because you're standing on top of some mountain looking down to the valley no you go into the valley. And valleys are not bad things. Nobody wants to sit around, hey God, send me into the valley. I want some difficulty in my life. I want some suffering. I want some pain. God, send me into the valley. But valleys are not bad things. God does some good things in the valley. He says, so don't stand up here on top of the mountaintop and look down there, but I want you to go down into the valley. And sometimes God is going to tell us, I want you to go down into the valley. And you're like, I don't want to do that. And then what does he say? He says, you will not need to fight in this battle. He says, stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow I go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And when you walk into that valley and God said, listen, I want you to go down this valley. Listen, he is with you. There's a purpose there. There's a reason behind all that. And so there's this crisis of belief that occurs, right? God, I trust you. I'll step into the valley. Or, no, sir. No, sir. No, thank you. Tell you what, I'm just going to back it up. Tell you what, at least back here, I know it's here. I know it's familiar. It's not great, but I know what's here. Because nobody wants to go run into the valley. 
So then Jehoshaphat, it says, bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And so everybody says, God has spoken. We're gonna obey him because God has been so good to us and told us what to do. When we do not know what to do, we kept our eyes on you He's told us what to do. Step into the valley. And now we're going to worship him because he gave us a way to move forward. And, and, and the Levites, uh, of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And so while you're waiting, and what do we do? We worship. What does that mean? We're declaring God's worth in our lives. Doesn't mean you always have to sing or stand up and stomp your foot and clap your feet or woo. But no, it's a way of living. It's a lifestyle of saying that God is more important than anybody or anything. And so while you're waiting, we keep on worshiping. And it says, and they rose up early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. Remember, he called us here and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. So they put on their, you know, their worship clothes uh, as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. You remember that song we sing it all the time? Give thanks to the Lord for he endures. You ever sing that song? You know, it's a trash scripture. Here's the thing. If you're in the valley of fear, the valley of pain, the valley of suffering or grief, the way out of the valley is through worship. Why? Because when you lift God up, he lifts you up. When you're in the valley, you're like, God, I am so afraid. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if I'm gonna have a job in two weeks. I don't know if we can make the mortgage payment. I don't know if my kid is ever going to turn the corner. I don't know if this marriage is going to get any better. God, I'm, I'm afraid. God, I'm, I, I, I don't want to be sick. God, I, 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 don't, I, I don't want to be hurting. I am afraid. You worship him. You lift him up. You say, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm keeping my eyes on you. And you worship him, and he lifts you up. It gets kind of interesting after this. It says, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, the Meonites, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the, the men of, uh, of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. So two of them turned against one, uh, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. I think this is great. Oh, let's all help destroy one another, right? So these three armies, two of them go against one army and destroy it. And then the other two armies that are left, they go against each other, right? That's what's happening. Josh Fett hadn't had to do anything. What does he say? Be obedient. Go down there, step into the valley. And nobody, see, everybody thinks, Jehoshaphat, you're going, to, you're going to win by having a great battle or you are going to win um, momentarily by all of you being killed. This is a huge thing I learned three or four years ago. But you know, God almost always, 
operates in the third option. See, we, we look at this thing, right? And we go, okay, Jehoshaphat going to get killed. Jehoshaphat going to win, A or B. And God comes in and goes, different plan. His plan's always best. Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea. Hey, listen, Pharaoh's army coming after you, you're going to get killed. Or you got to walk across the water. What are you going to do? Water's going to open up, walk across on dry land. That's the third option. Nobody's thinking that. He's thinking, should we turn around and fight? We're going to fight Pharaoh's army and we're going to all die? Or we're going to somehow beat them, A or B? God says, part the water. That's what he does. Over and over again, God operates in the third option and we think it's got to be this or that. No, it doesn't. His plan is always best. It says, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Everybody's dead. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, so they, all these dead bodies, they're going to, look, we're going to get their swords, we're going to get their shields. If they've got anything of any value, we're going to go take it from them. That's what people did in war. They found among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. There were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. There was so much stuff, so many people there that Jehoshaphat, the people of Judah, it took them three days to carry everything home. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barak, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that valley has been called the Valley of Barak to this day. Then they returned. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord because they're worshiping him even more. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries because they heard that the Lord was favoring them and that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for as God gave him rest all around. There's always, in the Bible, names of places are always important. There's nothing in the Bible that people say, oh, I can't think of anything else to do. We'll just write something in there. Every word, everything that's in Scripture is important. Every, it's not just haphazardly stuck in there. So when it says the Valley of Barakah, you know what that means? The Valley of Blessing. So, you step into a valley and God said, step into the valley. You know what happens? Blessing. And it's not gonna be the blessing the way you think it's going to be. Don't name the terms of the blessing. Step in there, worship him. And you're thinking, he's gonna bless me this way or this way. Wrong keeble, wrong go. He's gonna bless you God's way. He's going to do something in you that you never saw coming because God hears our humble prayer and he brings healing, forgiveness, and more. Because nobody's sitting there thinking, I'm going to walk in this valley and I'm going to get tremendous blessing. We think, can we get this over with in a hurry? Can we make this go by faster? That's our default setting. And so when you're afraid... When we do not know what to do, we will keep our eyes on you. When we do not know what to do, we will keep our eyes on you. When we do not know what to do, 
we will keep our eyes on you. So let's talk for a minute. This last year has been tough. I would love to tell you it's going to get better by 3 o'clock this afternoon. I don't know that it will. I, 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 you know, the, 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 the Bible says that things are going to get more and more and more difficult the closer we get to the return of Christ. And I don't, I'm not saying the return of Christ is at 4 o'clock this afternoon or anything like that. But I can't sit here and promise you that just because the virus eradicates that life is going to get easier. I think I would be a liar if I said that. But I want to tell you a couple of things that I'm really encouraged about. If you had told me this time last year that we were going to be not meeting as a church for as long as we went without meeting, if you had told me that we were going to be dealing with a virus and a crazy election and hatred and cancel culture and riots and race unrest and protest and unease and just sometimes, hey, listen, I'm, I'm scared to touch that doorknob because I might die. If you had told me last January, last February, that we were going to go even say to August, because here's what we were doing last year. March 8th, was the last time we had what I would call regular church. If you had told me that it was going to be such a long time, I don't know what I would have done. You know, we were making plans for Easter. We said, okay, we'll take two or three weeks off because they said 15 days. And I mean, we were ready. We were going to have Easter. We were going to have a 20th anniversary celebration the week after Easter for Southcrest. So we had all this stuff all laid out all the stuff we were going to do, because we figured, ah, it's going to be a couple of weeks. We'll be all right. If you had told me that and said, well, it's probably going to be August before things get back to normal, I would have said, we'll never survive. We'll, we'll, we'll never make it. And here's what I found out. Because I found out one thing, I'm an idiot. Because I figured, you know, by summertime, you know, by Easter, we'll get by summertime, by, by September, by end of the year, whatever, and, you know, we'll, we'll be Okay. So the next time we have all these kind of things happen, I've got some experience instead of just trying to lead when I don't know what's going on day to day. But here's what I found out. At Southcrest, we're a lot stronger than I imagined that we were. And it's not us, it's Christ in us. That's why. Now, Look, this is not persecution that the church is undergoing right now. This is not persecution. People aren't getting their heads cut off around here and marched into concentration camps. This is harassment is what it is. It's not persecution. And here's here's the thing. When the church is persecuted. And I don't think we're being persecuted. I think we're being harassed. What happens is sometimes God uses those things 
to purify the bride. And there are people who are watching online and there are people on our campuses today and you love Jesus and your faith is immovable. And I am so encouraged by you. What an example you are. I would never in a million years think that this could happen. And here we are, not surviving, but thriving in the midst of unusual, weird, difficult circumstances, still seeing people coming to Christ, families put back together, uh, relationships being healed, new people coming in week after week after week. Amazing what God is doing. And as God is cleaning us up and purifying us, let's don't lose this. Let's let him work in us while we're in this valley because we're going to come out of this thing. And it may be in heaven when we come out of this thing, just to be honest. But we're going to come out of this thing the most blessed people in history up to this point. That's what's going to happen because our God is faithful and just and he will do what he said he's going to do. So let's don't do this for a season, but let's be humble people. Let's let Christ keep swelling up inside of us. Let people see that Southcrest is strong. When we do not know what to do, we will keep our eyes on you. You with me? All right, let's pray. Lord God, you are mighty and strong. There's nothing that you cannot do. We are weak and powerless. And God, when we don't know what to do, we're gonna keep our eyes on you. I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would enlarge our territory. I pray that you would keep us from harm. And I pray that we would walk as your children, as revived people, not just talking about it. I pray we'd humbly walk with you and we would worship you like crazy. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus, I pray, amen.